Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. So I'm excited today. We're joined by Matt Kelly, newly minted Ironman, Inner West resident, all-round good guy. Welcome to the show, Matt. G'day. Good to be here. Thanks, Dave. I'm interested to get to the discussion around uh, your, your recent Ironman, but what I want to do is kind of flesh things out a little bit more and, uh, and find out a little bit more about you. So I'll ask the first question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. What did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, look, uh, I think... Um I think a fireman probably is the first thing that jumps to mind. I don't know whether that was, you know, from when I was really, really young age. And even at not too long out of uni, I actually applied to be a fireman. Didn't realise how hard it was to actually get in to be a fireman. You go through multiple rounds of types of testing and, and ultimately psychological exams and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, anyway, look, I, I think I'd probably, yeah, stick with that. <laughs> Interesting that uh, you didn't end up going that way. Was that the psychological things considering you know where you've ended up in terms of iron man and all the rest of yeah, it yeah who knows i mean the, the psychological exam it, it's like three hours it absolutely does your head in by the end of it and, and they don't tell you you don't get any results out of it they just tell you whether you progress to the next stage or not so oh, yeah. they obviously look for a certain you know personality traits in people and and you can't try and second guess it either you've just got to be honest with how you answer things and yeah you make it through the next step or you don't yeah well okay so given that's what you, uh, you originally thought you'd love to do, what's your day job now and how did you get into that? So I work for a construction and development company. I studied petroleum engineering at UNSW and I was about a year and a half into that when I sort of realised that maybe that wasn't going to be the long-term career for me, working on and off oil rigs. And it became very technical from a maths and physics point of view. And, and I just looked at my options. I thought, hey, maybe this isn't for me. And, and I swapped out into construction management at UNSW. and finished that degree and while I was studying I started working for um for yeah construction company in like the grad program and particularly in building services which is like all the technical kind of uh, mechanical electrical hydraulic sort of work that everything that makes buildings tick and um yeah got into that from an undergrad point of view and, and I've been with it ever since so yeah pretty lucky to work with some great companies and, and some big high profile sort of commercial office buildings hospital projects all the, all the fun stuff. Yeah, it's good. So you're the one that uh, gets the phone call in the middle of the night when something doesn't work or... Uh... Yes, some, sometimes that happens. Certainly, yeah. Um, yeah, when there's people that aren't unhappy if things aren't working, it's, it's usually... It's not the concrete that, that's the problem. It's usually the, the lights and the air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you enjoy most about doing that? There's a couple of things. One is that working on different projects and when you, and you get sort of the larger scale multi you know hundreds of million dollars jobs they're kind of three or four year projects which is great you don't always get to see them through start to finish but you know invariably you, you get to see you get to work on a great project be involved for a decent chunk of time but then ultimately they they end and and you get to move on and and work on something new and exciting as the next one but probably the, the main part of it you know looking back being able to see a project and, and tell your kids hey I, you know dad worked on that job you see that there and you know these are you know big you know physical you know tangible say legacy depending on on the project but just having something that's there that you can identify with take some pride in i think and, and you know know the blood sweat and tears that goes into delivering them when you're right in the thick of it sometimes but at the end of the day that sort of you can step back and go, wow, you know, it was, it was great to be involved in that. And, and the team environment, because it, 
you definitely don't deliver these things on your own. They're, they're by no means one-man bands. So, yeah, that, that's a, a great part of it is seeing how project teams band together to, to you know, deliver these sort of projects. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was actually thinking about that the other day because um, just down the road from my office, there's, I mean, like all the rest of Sydney, there's truckloads of construction going on, but there's a, a 40-odd story building down the road that, Know, is coming closer and closer to completion. I mean, the, Mount Street, yeah, yeah, Mount Street. Yeah, it, it's a great-looking building, but you kind of watch that. And you know, I used to go drinking in the pub when it was there, and then they got knocked down, and now there's this big thing come out of the ground, and you, you just look and you think that's so different from a lot of, um, you know, certainly different from what I do, where there's not necessarily um, you're kind of working on things for an extended period of time, but there's not yep. necessarily a, a finishing point with it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your projects can be good like that. And as I said, you don't always get to see them all the way through. You could be halfway through a job and then something else comes up and you get tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, we we, we need you somewhere else. And it's usually a, a positive thing to, to mean that, you know, you need to go and help out with some other problems and and projects and, and your work on something is is done. So, yeah, it's um yeah, it's just good to have that that legacy, I think. Yeah, okay. And so uh, I'm interested in the, your comment around working in a, a team environment as well because you know, that's, that's obviously quite a different thing from being a, a triathlete and, mm. uh, or you know, running marathons or doing whatever. So how do the two of them tie in? Oh, in the sense of just my enjoyment of, yeah. of the two of them? Yeah, I mean, they are completely different, aren't they? Yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe I haven't really thought about it like that before, but perhaps they, for me they balance each other out a little bit because the – the team environment from a work point of view is, is, you know, all encompassing and pretty intense and, you know, you're not really on your own from a work point of view. And, and so the, the time out running or the time on the bike or, or whatever it is, you know, maybe for me just provides some, some balance to that. I, I'm certainly not, not an extrovert and I'm not the first one, you know, I'm horrible at, you know, networking events and all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't love making new friends if you want to put it that way. So I think I, I certainly, I don't mind spending time on my own. But certainly from a work point of view, just that social interaction and, as I said, the, the team the team side of things is, I think, as, as humans, like we, for the most part, like we, we thrive on that type of interaction. Certainly once everyone's kind of warmed up and starts working together and you iron out the, the kinks and, and things like that, it, you know, seeing high-performing teams come together and, and day-to-day, it, yeah, it's, it's really, really satisfying. Yeah, okay. So I've got to talk to you about the Ironman. Because, yeah. you know, that was, uh, what was that, Port Mac, and that was, what, three? Three weeks ago, three yeah. Three weeks ago. You're walking all right now? Yeah, I recovered really well, actually. In fact, probably too well. I was out running at the running science um, only like a week and a half later, and coach was like, what are you doing here? I said, <laughs> I, I think I feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you go? Because this was your first one, wasn't it? Yeah, so well, a little bit of history. I, I, I was in Port Macquarie in 2013 and again in 2016 during the half. After a, you know, sort of the maybe a typical sort of build up from starting out in the sprints and one or two Olympic distance, and then thinking, yeah, I'll give the half a crack. And really, I probably say I didn't enjoy them all that much. Probably hadn't trained or prepared well enough. And I thought, well, I've barely scraped through the half. I'll, I'll, I'll never be cut out for Ironman, the full distance. And certainly the training side of things, you know, I, I knew what I hadn't done in the halves, and, and, and I thought I'd never get there for the full. But um, yeah, look, I mean, we'll, we'll probably go through it, but yeah, really. All in all, really happy with the day. It was like a bit over 11 and a half hours and 
I thought if I had an 11 in front of it, I'd be pretty stoked. And that was based on some really rough numbers of, yeah, the swim should take me X and the bike will be Y and the, the run will be Z if I can hold it together. And, you know, a few people, like I'm not part of a tri club or anything, which I've done a lot of stuff on my own, but a, a few of the people I know through work and others that have done it had always said, you know, just just don't blow up on the bike. Just, you know, make sure you've got enough for the run. And, you know, and your first Ironman, just make sure you, you know, you enjoy it as well. And and I've, I've taken a really sort of a new um, new approach, a bit of a new philosophy in my training and diet and a few other things at the start of last year. And so I think when I signed up for Ironman, what was it probably, you know, mid to late last year, I think I was just in a really different headspace and, and I was happy to kind of not put too much pressure on myself going into the event. And yeah, I think I tried to enjoy it as much as I could out there. Um, the weather was atrocious on the, on the Saturday, on the day before. My kids were out there doing the Iron Kid fun run and in, in absolutely pouring rain. And, and I think all of the athletes were sort of smiling nervously, hoping that the, the weather would clear. And it did. It came good. Came good on the day. The sun was out for the swim and the sun was out all day. Pretty stiff, southerly blowing. So Port's a two-lap bike course that heads south. And, you know, headwind on the way down, tailwind on the way back, balances each other out and just... Like I said, it was kind of, yeah, just enjoy, enjoyed being up there. Actually, I lived in Port Macquarie for a few years growing up as a kid. So my, my grandparents are still there. They've been there about 40 years. Oh, wow. Um, so it's kind of a nice place for me to be and, and compete up there. And, and my, my parents had just come back from overseas, but they, they drove up from Sydney. They'd been away for like a month and they still made it up. And my grandparents are up there. So it was, yeah, really, really nice. Again, not being part of like a tri club and having a, uh, that sort of extra social scene around it for me, it's, it's it was sort of really family oriented and just and personal achievement, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you um, you mentioned your family, and I think uh, is it three kids you've got? Yeah. Yeah. Two boys and a, and a little girl. And they're only young, aren't they? Yeah, seven, five, and eighteen months. How did you go juggling that with your training? Yeah, it, it was it was interesting at times. I think when I when I talked to my wife last year before I signed up, I sort of said, "Look, you know, I mean, I've done events over the years, but nothing as big as this." And and I knew, having done the halves, what sort of training I'd need to commit to for the full. And as it is, I look in, in all honesty, I, I barely scraped on average ten hours a week together because I kept you know kept a log of everything and what I was doing and a few articles that I'd read. You know, everyone's saying you the minimum should be 12 hours. You know, you've got to get to 15 if you can. And, and, and I'd try some weeks and, and I just couldn't do it. But I guess I just had to be kind of satisfied in what I was doing. And yeah, so, so when I spoke to my wife about it, I said, look, you know, it's going to be, it's a commitment. And I guess in, in some ways, what allowed me to, to do it in part was that she was still on maternity leave with our, from our third baby. And so she didn't have that, her extra work commitments as well. So I'd say that probably played a big part. When I looked at timing, I thought, wow, if, if I do one now and, and I've got the ability to, to train and there's a little more flexibility at home, then, you know, maybe in a few years when, when it's all hands on deck with three lots of school and, and, and work and all of that. Yeah, and I sort of mapped out a bit of what I thought a training week would look like and we just said, yeah, let's, let, let's go for it. And, you know, some week to week, some weeks w w were great. I mean, I, I wasn't out on doing six-hour rides every every weekend or probably even every other weekend. I might, I might have got out for my long weekend ride every three weeks yep. and just trying to get as much quality in time as I could just on the trainer at home, you know, regularly started my first swim squad, but I was only swimming probably twice a week. I was, I was doing two sessions or you know, two sessions per discipline a week. So six 
sometimes seven, rarely eight. And then, you know, there were nights when I'd come home on a Tuesday, which is when I'd go to swim squad and the wheels were falling off, particularly, <laughs> particularly in the last month. But my wife just went back to work in, in April, which is fantastic. But there were some nights and it was like 6.30 at night and I was due to head off for swimming and the wheels were falling off. And I just thought, I, I can't walk out the door now. So, you know, I'd, I'd missed the odd training that I would have otherwise liked to get to, but I, I didn't want to push it too much. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, I think just trying to set up at the start having, you know, here's what the week will look like. This is what I'd like to get to. You know, there were obviously balance of early mornings. I'd, I'd try and make the most of any lunch times I could. And then the evenings, the run's probably the easiest because, you know, the, the commute to and from work's probably only six or seven K, but I can make that a 12 K, 15 K run if, if I need to, yep. you know, you just turn right instead of left and Thank run you. around the Bay and Haberfield instead of running straight home, like all that sort of stuff. Just, I guess, trying to be a little bit creative with um, some of the training. Yeah. Okay. And you, I mean, you mentioned, you know, having to skip things and all the rest of it. And you, you said that you, you kind of went with a different philosophy at the start of last year. I mean, how, how does it, what were you doing previously? What was different in terms of your, your headspace and your mental approach? Yeah, I think probably a couple of things. I mean, I started reading a little bit more about, I mean, I read, so I read Born to Run probably two years ago. Yep. I'm sure if your listeners don't know, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty well-known book, but basically around, you know, the origins of running and the author and, and, and runner who, you know, who ends up tracking the Mexican tribe in um, the Tarahumara who, you know, run in sandals and they can run for 100K and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, but everything around, you know, the history of running shoes and, and, and natural running and, and all of that and, and, you know, ultra endurance and that sort of started opening my, my mind a little bit to how I was running. I think I was always trying to run too fast. Yeah, okay. Uh, and there's, there's sort of a quote in that book around, along the lines of people either run too fast or they run too slow when they train. Then the start of last year, I read Rich Roll's book. I read Finding Ultra. Oh, yeah. Um, which was probably a big turning point for me. And again, it really mentally uh, around, psychologically, just around you know, challenging yourself to do things that you don't, you know, you typically I, I thought I'd never be able to do Ironman. I, I'd never even run a marathon. I've only, that Ironman three weeks ago was my second marathon. I only ran my first one in September last year, but you know, mentally I was always like, I'll, I'll never be able to do it. I'm, I'm built for speed. I'd only ever run like the city to surf was my only ever, you know, decent long distance run apart from a couple of um, unenjoyable half marathons. And so, but just reading this sort of just made me think, you know, I'm just a, kind of making excuses to, to think, oh, I can't do it. You're putting up mental barriers before you've even really thought about how you might achieve it. And, you know, there, there's stories and quotes through Rich Roll's book. I actually changed my diet, so I'm now fully plant-based as well. So yeah, yeah. between January and March last year, I went from being a, a fully-fledged carnivore to being, a, or I'd say, you know, 99.9% fully-fledged plant-based athlete, which is fantastic. I, I love it try not to preach about it too much, but I mean, there's lots of chat out there and everything about the switch for good, which is around, you know, dropping dairy. And for, for me, first and foremost, it was sort of the health and nutritional side of, of the plant-based approach, as well as then the, the environmental and then the animal sort of ethical side of it. And, and all three of them together, you know, I remember saying to my wife, wow, just this book is, um, it's just really interesting to hear what, what your body can do when you've got the right mental approach and, and, and you think about what you're putting through your body. And, and I thought, you know, I'll probably never be vegan, but I'm sure, you know, maybe we'll just drop meat and, we'll, and one thing just led to another. And, yeah, over the course of a few months, by, as I said, by sort of March, April, I was pretty much been 
and fully plant-based. And, um, and, and then the other thing that was really interesting with, with the Rich Roll book was, again, just, just slowing down and, and not trying to run too hard. And so all this sort of zone two training, if, if the listeners are familiar, you know, around heart rate and, and basing your training zones on endurance around that and, and increasing the mitochondria and the blood cells around just running slow and for long periods of time. And, and I'd never done that. And, and, I'd, and I could sort of look at it and, and identify that with myself and say, well, of course I'm no good at long distance because I don't actually train my body to, 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 to go that way. And, and so, yeah, I spent probably most of last year just running slow. And it's funny because you, you find yourself running so slow and you're walking up hills and you've got to keep your heart rate in zone two. And inevitably you start getting faster. You don't have to walk up the hill. You can slowly jog and, and it takes some time to, to do it. But it, it's incredible that the transformation that your body goes through when you start sort of applying these training approaches. Yeah, so I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's been really interesting. I think I've just tried to slow things down and not put so much pressure on myself and, and just appreciate that you can, to go faster, sometimes you've got to start by going a bit slower. Yeah, well, wow. and and that was kind of I think that probably just set me up for for Ironman mentally, just to say, all right, I've got whatever it was, I've got you know nine months now to to prepare for this. I thought I better get on and sign up to do the the Sydney Marathon just to know what that feels like, and I, I had a pretty pretty terrible time with some knee pain in that, but I got through it, and I think that was again just mentally knowing what it takes to. It's easy to give up, but just to push yourself. Yeah, and, and, and even even some other books, you know, reading last year and, and the Rich Roll podcast, you know, you hear about guys like David Goggins who, you know, says that even when you're at your absolute lowest point physically and you think you're going to throw in the towel, you know, his quote is, well, you're only at 40% of your potential. So, you know, just, just you know, sort of suck it up, dig deep in and, and really find that next level of, of energy. And then there's guys like uh, Scott Durek, who, you know, is very, very accomplished ultra endurance, you know, runner. He's, he's plant-based as well. You know, read his book and you just, you hear about these guys and, and these girls, you know, there's plenty of incredible um, female athletes out there doing amazing things. And um, I just sort of looked at that and went, well, a lot of them have come from, not, not all of them started out thinking that they were going to be elite athletes and, and they're out there doing these amazing things. And yeah, for me, it was just like, it's time to kind of, yeah, step up and, and put a challenge out there and, and, and go for it. Yeah, wow. And have you found, besides the, the change in diet and, uh, and kind of the mental approach to your training, how has that affected the rest of your life? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the family-wise, like, you know, my wife and I were fully on board. She was, you know, turned fully plant-based even faster than I did. She's been amazing with the whole thing, with the food. I mean, often people ask us about our kids or, you know, how, is it safe for your kids and oh, what do you do with them? And, you know, it's certainly, I mean, hundred percent, it's, it's safe. There's no question about that, but um, you know, we're also pretty, we understand they're very young and, and, you know, it took, took us, you know, 35, 36 years before we made this, you know, an educated decision. So for them, it's, it's really the long game and we had a certain way at home and, and we have a certain approach to food and, and how we talk to our kids about it, but we know they don't go off to parties and, I'll go off to sleepovers and school and my, 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 middle, my middle son still says, oh, I just really want a sausage, dad. And uh, we just, just really want to, you know, really want a chicken burger or something. And we're just like, yeah, if that's what you want to have, then and that's cool as well. But, you know, family side of it, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, they've been really, really supportive of, of, the, of the event and the training. And, and I've done things on and off over the years. So I don't think they were too surprised when I'd signed up. But I think it, was, it wasn't until the end where particularly mum was just 
kind of really realized what I was about to tackle and she just went, wow, this sounds like it's pretty full on. They just come back from hiking in South America and they'd just done Machu Picchu actually. So she was wow, I I know what it takes to train for for three months for something and then go and and accomplish it. So when I said, oh, look, it could be a 12 hour day, it was kind of like, wow, that's, that didn't, didn't really realize probably what Ironman meant. It's funny when you're in the, the running and the triathlon scene, some people are like, yeah, Ironman, okay, yep, yeah, no worries, I've done five. And, and then other people are just, you know, they're amazed by it still because they know what it takes. And they, like I was a few years ago, it's like, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to, but I don't think I could ever do it. And then you find people that are just like, so what is that, you know? Yeah. Um, and kind of what's the big deal? And, and it's just, it's funny how you can get so caught up in it. And then you think that everyone knows about it. And you think everyone knows the challenges and the commitment and, and what it means at the end. But it's, yeah, it's funny. Just people, people's awareness around it. It's funny. My, so my brother-in-law did an Ironman, or maybe more than one, when it was at Foster. So going back, yeah. um, going back a few years now, and I remember talking to my grandmother about it. Yeah, you know, I was explaining you know, the distances and what you do and all the rest of it. It's just so, uh, yeah. How many days do you do that over? It's like you know, you have it. You go for a swim and then you have a break to recover. No, 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 no. Wow. One day, yeah. yeah. So you're right. I mean, if you if you know about it and you you're in that scene, it's just kind of it might still be a big deal, but it's you know you understand the way mm. it all works. But for most people, it's like you do what? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, have you um, that philosophy that and you know that uh, the kind of mindset change where you were talking about not putting mental barriers in front of yourself? Have you found that flow through to your work as well? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I probably haven't thought about it directly, but I don't know. I, I certainly, I probably feel a bit more relaxed about things. You know, their work can be a bit stressful and you know times projects are under pressure and all of that but and, and maybe part of it just comes with a bit of age and experience and maturity as well that you just sort of try and put things into perspective and you know decide if they're really worth stressing about too much and you know you, you often you know there's an outcome there somewhere you just gotta you just gotta work with people at the end of the day and, and a lot of it comes down to just yeah managing expectations and and you know talking to people yeah, I probably, I don't know if, if I ever would have linked the two, but yeah, I mean, there's probably elements of that for me. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Do you wish you could do more with your money? Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share a passion for endurance sports or other adventures. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, they aren't where they imagined they'd be financially at this point in their life. Two, they feel frustrated that they are earning good income but aren't doing more with it. And three, they are concerned that they don't have a strategy to make the lifestyle they're working so hard for feasible, both now and in the years ahead. Underlying all of these are nagging doubts about the future and a concern that they aren't maximising the opportunities created by their hard work. We have a nine-step process we take you through, which will simplify your financial affairs and take much of the hassle out of your hands, provide you with certainty that the strategy you choose to implement is right for you, and finally, get rid of those nagging doubts and give you confidence that you are on track to achieving the things that are most important to you. Ultimately, we can help you leverage your professional achievements into financial success so you can enjoy a life that is truly remarkable. 
For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. And have you converted your uh, your team in the office to uh, to going and running or uh, or doing triathlons or anything like that? Oh, there's there's been a couple of people who a couple of keen cyclists um, who are already sort of doing some cycling. There's another woman here at work. She she's a very strong swimmer, ocean swimming, and and she's tackled a couple of um, seventy point three events as well. Years ago, I'd like to say I, I got. I got a, a mate at work into cycling and into triathlon and actually became a much stronger cyclist. Than, oh, don't you hate that? <laughs> but then it kind of fell by the wayside for him after, after a couple of years. So I've kind of stuck it out a little bit. So, yeah, I think I've, I've tried to inspire, if I can say that. I tried to inspire a few people to sort of really say, come on, let's get on and do it. Actually, was it two years? Two years ago, I was keen to sign up for the Oxfam, the 100K. Oh, the trail walker. Yeah. Oxfam trail walker. And... <laughs> surprisingly but not surprisingly I couldn't find anyone to to join me on the team and I started it with people at work and and they were just saying no I'm not interested and then I said well what about the 50k and then they're thinking I'm not going to walk 50k that's I'd probably rather do the 100k and I'm not going to do that anyway so so then, then I, I actually was chatting to some mates that I went to school with um you know that were still were still pretty close and and I started to try to convince them again I started on the 100 and then Initially, they were like, yeah, yeah, let's all do it. Probably, you know, having a few beers. And then the next day it was, or the couple of days later, they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's such a good idea because they probably realised that um, it's not something that you can just show up for, you know, three months later and, and decide to go walk or run 100K. So I was really happy, though, that they, they came back and said, all right, what if we do the 50? And I was like, I'll, I'll do anything as long as we can all do it together and just sort of enjoy it. And, and one of the things I really enjoyed about that is, you know, we, all, you know, got families and work and all these crazy life commitments that one of the nice things was a couple of the training walks that we did just through, you know, Karingai Chase National Park, you know, Bob and Head, all those sort of areas was just in the middle of winter meeting somewhere in the dark and it was, you know, seven degrees and we just went, all right, what are we doing here? Let's just start walking and chatting to guys that you went to school with that, you know, you see on and off. That was actually a really nice experience for me just to be, to have those, the four of us together and then end up doing the, the trail walker and, you know, we, we smashed it out on the day and it, it was great. And I, I know enough from, from my own events that I'll probably tap them on the shoulder maybe next year now that it's after a few years and the memory's distant enough that <laughs> it might actually be silly enough to sign up with me again. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. funny though because you are saying that you do a lot of training by yourself usually. So, um... yeah. And that was one of the nice things about the trail walker side was yeah, yeah having those guys together and walking you know is probably the the easiest way to still stay social while you yeah. while you're training with people. <clears throat> I mean, I I've, I got pretty um, into a pretty good rhythm riding with uh, a couple of guys from work every Friday morning. So so not all my trainings on my own, but my swimming and my running always has been. And it wasn't until I signed up with Running Science, and that was only in January or February that I actually did my first run club session so before that it was always just me and my headphones yeah wow and and i really enjoyed and, and i found it was a really good balance because you know you could do those those high intensity track sessions and, and be able to chat to people you know while you do that or at the start and at the end and then do the longer sort of slower stuff on my own and just have the headphones in and looking at my heart rate and and just going going out running so yeah and, and the riding's probably a bit of a mix i mean i'm some of the guys I used to ride with, like mates that, that haven't kept it up, so I found myself, you know, a little bit, you know, thought about, you know, do I do I sign up for a run, uh, a, a cycling club or not? But because some of my training is with mainly around work and family, is sort of, well, 
I'll probably go out tomorrow morning, but if my daughter's awake for half the night, I'm probably not going to go out tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to make commitments with people if you if you know there's a chance you're not going to be there. Yep. And that's probably the other part of it is, you know, it, 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 yeah, you can, you can give yourself that level of flexibility and say, well, okay, normally I'll go out on a Thursday, but it might be Friday, so I'll just keep that open and I'll see, yeah, I'll see what happens. Yep. Certainly plenty of nights where we'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning if my daughter woke because she was, you know, she's on the, the merry-go-round of daycare sickness and all oh, of that sort of wow. fun stuff. So, you know, you might be awake a couple of times during the night and the alarm goes off at 4.30 and you're just like, well, which way is up? And you sort of just got to drag yourself out of bed. I think the, I always say to myself, the first two steps are the hardest. And, and <laughs> once once you're standing up, it's it's pretty much okay. But <laughs> yeah, I always find that when it's a when it's a wet morning, the um, yeah the first two steps out the door are just horrendous, and yeah, it doesn't really matter. You're going to get wet because you're going to get sweaty, or you're going to get wet because you're going to get rained on. So it doesn't really matter. Yep. What's next for you then? Yeah, look, um, I mean, City to Surf, I, I signed up the other day. So that's just chasing times now. i uh, try and get a bit faster. I, I finally cracked 60 minutes last year, ran a PB. So who knows, I might I might go there again, work on some speed. I thought maybe another just single day bike ride. There's some riding barrel later in the year. There's the, the Three Peaks Challenge potentially, maybe not next year, but but one day. The, but the big one, which I know that the run that was on just last weekend was the UTA, so Ultra Trail Australia. They run an event in the Blue Mountains in May. There's no way you do Ironman and, and that in, in one year. Well, I'm sure there's probably some people that have done it or attempted it at least. I know um, there's but, some people who do that and then the next day they do the, the SMH half as well. Uh, yeah, oh, it, it's incredible, as I said. I mean, just as soon as you put up a barrier that says, you know, you can never do that, you, you can find people that, that have done it have or done. at least we go. So maybe UTA next year. I did the 22K last year. And I signed up pretty late and ran it with a with a mate of mine and, um, and enjoyed it and I thought, yeah, maybe the 50 and then I think well why sell myself short I should I should go all out and go for the 100 so who knows that might be the next sort of the next like I like, I like having the long range you know the sort of the the 9 to 12 month event goals yep. I know my wife probably thinks it's crazy because then you, you know you're trying to start planning holidays and other things around having these things locked into calendars but for me it's kind of it's good it sort of gives you those long-term goals to get to and know that you've got to have enough time to to prepare so uta 100 would be massive who knows we'll, we'll see it try and um get another mate of mine interested who he's actually who i did the 22k with um but it's just I, again I, I know what it'd take to run and it's funny once you get used to triathlon i've been in the pool a few times because it's just like yeah I it's a nice day. I should be going for a swim. You know, I was riding this morning and the ride feels good. The run's still a bit heavy going. And I think just the impact of, of that, yeah. I'm not enjoying the running quite as much as I, as I was before Ironman at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. And I think you get used to then filling those spare hours with, I can go for a swim here and I can go for a run there. It's kind of been hard to slow down a little bit. So I think I'll probably just try and ease off it a touch, but yeah, I think it's just who I am anyway, just to stay active and stay moving. But it's nice to not be running out the door at seven o'clock at night to go to it's a, a swim squad when you, know, you don't have to be there. But you know, yeah, things like that or just, you know, very disappear on your own on the train or on the balcony at eight o'clock at night once the kids are in bed and <laughs> you know, burying yourself in, in a blanket of sweat on the, on the turbo trainer. So I'm not missing that at the moment. Let's just say that. <laughs> 
I bet your neighbours aren't either. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, a few few words exchanged to myself on the on the, on the balcony. <laughs> oh, jeez. Now, yeah, with the young family and obviously working and juggling time, and yeah, we know that um, that endurance sports and particularly triathlons and things like that quite a heavy commitment, both of time and also money. So mm. I'm I'm interested. I mean, obviously, you know, the kids aren't. Well, they're only just starting school now, aren't they? Your your oldest will be at school. Year two and kindy. And yeah, okay. Daycare for the youngest. Yeah. So yeah, how do you kind of juggle all of that so that you know they can do the things that that you want them to be able to do and that that'll grow to the things that they want to be able to do as well as you saying, well, I want to carve this out for me because that's kind of what I'm passionate about. And yeah, you know, there's only so much to go around. And how do you kind of juggle that? Yeah, I think. And sorry, your wife as well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, I mean, that it was right up until March, it was, it, it worked as best as it could because she was still off, off on maternity leave. That the, the dynamic is certainly different now and, mm-hmm. and not that it's, it's bad. It's just, it's just that extra level of availability and time and, and getting home at, at whatever time and who's picking up kids and understanding all that. So, you know, if I was, if I signed up for Iron Man or a race towards the end of this year, like I think I'd be crazy to do that because I know how the weeks have shifted. But like my, my both boys are playing soccer and only the eldest has the midweek training. So like again, that alone is something we haven't had before and, and that's you know, even it's a big thing for them. Like he's only only seven. It's not like they're like I think they think they've got a more energy than they do. That they've got all this energy, but it, you know, to, to start midweek training on a Thursday at 6 p.m. that like last night we got home and they were just like they're happy but they're shattered and you know yeah. like the, the, the younger one the middle one five years old he goes along to the bigger brother's soccer team training like it's all pretty you know pretty relaxed and, and happy but he has a run around and he's falling asleep in his in his dinner and um so it, it's nice to be around for that and and there was a, a little bit of that when I was training but I I think what was I doing on a Thursday night? I was running home, so I'd leave work at whatever time and do my longer run home. So I'd, I'd try and be home when I knew there were things that were important to be home for. Like Saturday morning's been soccer for since when did the season started in March or something. So yeah, my Saturdays actually I didn't do anything. I didn't do your typical. You've got to do your big Saturday ride and then your big Sunday run. I was like, well, Saturdays I don't train unless it might have been three o'clock in the arbo. Then I'd and the kids were having some wind down time. I'd probably say all right i'm going to go for a i'm going to go and do a 15k run now and, and that's again that flexibility around not being part of a, a run club or a group and, and even following a program was hard like a, a good mate of mine gave me a program that he trained to for port ironman about four years ago and he smashed it like he was 10 and a half hours something incredible and i, look, I was reading this program I'm like great got, i'll have a look and i was going through it and i was like i get it i get that's what you've got to do but i just couldn't i knew that i couldn't commit to that yeah. i knew that I, I could probably do i'd be modifying sessions or i'd be doing half of the session yeah i'd be lying if i if i didn't say I, there were moments where i was like i'm probably not doing enough here maybe i'm not going to get through this or you know is it am i just going to get my ass handed to me out there on the day because i'm just not meeting these sort of k's or these sort of hours but i guess i, I kind of just stuck to what i knew i could do and and believed in the sort of stuff I'd read and, and my diet and, and all of those things was just to say, okay, we'll do as much as I can do and don't put too much pressure on myself for it. So, you know, coming back to your original question with, with the weeks and, and the family and, and all of that, it was, um, 
yeah, we, we got things to work and, and I think as the kids get older, I don't know, maybe it will be harder because they will have more and more commitments. It's a funny thing maybe with a young, like quite a young family is that they don't have a lot on. Like mm. the kids aren't out doing three or four things during the week, midweek, because they're just too young. Like if we did that, they'd, they'd just be, you know, they'd be shattered. And so we're conscious of not overloading them. Yep. They, they love their soccer. They were doing soccer and swimming last year, and even that was was a lot. So we're just trying to split that a little bit and just make sure they're enjoying it as well because we don't want to be forcing them to do three different things, you know, go to practice here and practice there and do your homework and all that because it's just like there'll be plenty of time for that, I think, when they're old enough to handle it and make some of their own choices. And, yeah, they, they love what they're doing at the moment. They asked us just the other day, they're like, why, why aren't we doing swimming anymore? But they only just, just kind of clicked that they weren't doing it because they swam, you know, throughout the whole year, all, all four terms for a couple of years. And then this year we decided, actually, let's just take a bit of a break. We'll just do soccer and, and they can enjoy that. And, and I think that's kind of nice for them as well. Yeah, there'll certainly be enough time ahead for when they're, I'm sure, with the two boys as, as they get older and, you know, even 10, 11, 12 years old and just that next level of energy and, and really having some outlets to harness that. And, and, and I've said to people before, and, you know, I, I don't want to wish away the time with my kids the age they are now, but I really look forward to the age where, you know, they're running with me or they're riding with me or, or whatever we're doing or, you know, yeah. but probably actually they're pretty much, pretty much at the point now where if I'm running and they're on their bikes, like that's probably not a bad balance, but the eldest is probably too fast on his bike for me to run any sort of distance at the moment. But yeah, it's, it's funny, like triathlons are very kind of, lonely sport and it can be a selfish sport and so for me now it's just about giving some time back to certainly for this year and, and whatever happens for next year is just making sure that i just put it all into perspective you know yep yeah. no, fantastic okay now i'm conscious of your time and i will let you go very shortly there's a couple more things that i want to ask you yeah so you know obviously you've just done iron man and there would have been some really hard points throughout the course of that day yep when you are deep in the red zone and you know, your body and your mind and everything's screaming at you to just, yeah, I've had enough now, let's, let's just call it a day. Mm. How do you get yourself through those? Yeah, look, I, I, I remember I'd probably say that the least, I love riding and the least enjoyable period of time I had out there was on the bike, probably between about 110 to 130, 40 Ks was just, you know, the back was sore, the neck was sore, the arms were sore, everything kind of just aching and, and you know, you're in the, still in the headwind waiting for that tailwind period of time. I think whether it was the swim or the ride or the run, and, and I've been a pretty average swimmer at the best of times, and I've, and I've hated the big bunch, you know, triathlon swims. And, and actually, Port's good. They do the rolling start, so you're not, you're not in the washing machine really much at all. But I think for me, like, it was just about breaking down each leg and then each part of the leg. You know, even, even on the swim, I, now my mind was already thinking, oh, what happens on the bike and what happens on the run? I was like, just bringing it back to, just get to the weir. Uh, important for those that don't know, important you actually get out of the water, you, you go up and over some some scaffold steps, over a weir which separates the the main river, the Hastings River, to the uh, the, the canal system. Important, it's like the only Ironman race in the world or something where they do it. But it's kind of cool because it just let me go. It's not this great big ocean swim where you you know it's hard to probably mark. Distance yeah, sort of progression. And time. Yeah. I was just like, all right, get to that point. You're at the bridge, you're at the weir, and then you do a loop, you come back. So you've got to cross it when you come back again. And then when you finish, uh, when you come back across the weir, you know, I think you're at like 1.2K left in the swim. It's just like, bang, okay, I can, I'll just knock this out. And 
next thing you know, you're coming out of the water and you're like, wow, that's, that's the swim done. And looking forward to getting on the bike and the first out and back lap, the, the first 90K all felt pretty good. Just sitting on, you know, sitting on 30Ks and not really pushing too hard, but just enjoying it. And there's a, there's a, there's a really steep hill in Port, which is pretty well known. Matthew Flinders drives like 15% gradient and a lot of triathletes kind of fall apart. They actually provide a carpet, a mat up the side of the road because a lot of athletes get off and walk up the hill. It's oh, pretty wow. funny. And you it's would be able to do that with your... Uh, yeah, tri- I actually heard some guy go, oh, I thought this is meant to be a triathlon, not a, you know, not a hill climb or something like that. But <laughs> it's funny, but as a, as a, I would call myself a road cyclist more than a, a triathlon type cyclist. Like I did, my, I did the race on a, on a road bike with, with clip-on bars. I, I ummed at the start of the year about, about getting a TT bike. So I'm, yeah. I'm seeing here from your question, but this is interesting as well, even for your listeners that... Um, I thought oh, I've got to be on a, I've got to get on a TT bike. You know, this is 180 k's. You've got to be in the in the right position. You've got to be aero. You've got to, get, you know, every second counts. And I was I was looking at you know bikes and you're looking at pricing. And then I was like, I was on Gumtree. I go, all right, there's got to be so many secondhand bikes. You've got every other triathlete out there would be selling their bike after you know one, two, yeah. three, six, six triathlons. And and there's stuff out there. There's no question. But like I've got a half decent road bike. And then I thought, well, I'm either going to drop fair amount you know a good few thousand dollars to get a half decent secondhand tt bike or i get a not so good secondhand tt bike and then i'm like well, why, why would i do that when i can be as comfortable as i probably can i'm on a decent road bike i did both the 70.3 events in port and um and the long course race in husky a few years ago with the clip-on bars and talking to another mate of mine who does a lot of competitive cycling he's pretty successful he said he said, "Look, unless you've got plenty of cash, he said, don't don't bother." He said, "You you know, position and comfort on your bike that you've ridden for you know however many years that'll trump, you know, a couple of minutes maybe on a TT bike because unless you're training on it for a good few months in the lead up, you know, there's no point. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to borrow a bike two weeks before a race and expect yeah, to do yeah, a, a better yeah. time. So anyway, I went through all of that as well, and and then just sort of again put it into perspective and went." There's no reason I can't do this on my road bike. So I just, I could put that aside and, and just trained on with the clip-ons from, from sort of February and, and that was it. So yeah, so coming back to the question about, I guess, just yeah, the low points, it was just breaking the race up. You know, the, it's, it's a two-lap out-and-back bike course. So, you know, you finish 90Ks, you do the turnaround back in the city and you go, all right, here we go again, just one more of those. And, and then when things got pretty low at about 120-odd K, it was just like, you know, I probably slowed right up, but it was just, all right, get to that section there. Yeah, all right, you know, get to the next section here. Where's the next aid station? For me, it's it's just compartmentalising a race and, and getting to the next turning point, getting to the next aid station. And then, uh, you know, then you get to Matthew Flinders and you're out of the saddle and you go, oh, that feels good. You know, open up the legs a bit and, and then you know you're only, what, nine, ten k's from the finish and you go, you look at it going, wow, I'm now you're looking at the end of the, the bike course. And, and I really looked forward to getting off the bike and running. And the run's really nice. It's a fallout run course. And there's a little kick, a bit of a hill that you're up and down. And um, but, you know, having the family there, they were able to, like, it's really spectator friendly with the fallout run course, which is great. You know, so you, you can just break it down. And I think I only really got low on the run about as the, sort of the sun sets and had actually this amazing experience when the sun was setting over I was running along Settlement Point. It was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm in a good place, probably going a bit slow, but just enjoyed it. And then it got dark, it got cold, and, and I sort of had to knuckle down at that point. But 
you know, I was probably at 32 Ks in and then you just like, this is just a 10 K run now. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's again, just sort of how I've tried to put things into perspective and rather than just go, Oh, you know, how far is the end? It's just get to the next bit, you know, get to the next aid station. If you need to walk it, if you need to have a stretch, just do it. My, my stomach started to turn on me a bit and I was, you know, going through all those maybe typical sort of pain, but, but at the same time I was, you know, Ironman can break people and I was running past people that were probably not that far into their run and, you know, someone throwing up on the side of the road, some guy hobbling along in a space blanket. It was only 7 or 6.30 at night and you're just saying, wow, that's a long day out. And so you sort of go, well, I'm suffering, but some people are suffering more and some people are some people are in a, in a much darker place than this. So just, just stay on your toes and, you know, knock out the next section, get to the last the last lap and and then yeah as i said it's like a it's a 10k run from there so yeah wow i think that's probably how, how i do it yeah. yeah it's that project management side coming out in you well you're probably right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um okay look that's been fantastic matt and really really great to talk to you the last thing i'm going to ask you is um so we've spoken about a lot of different things today and one of the things that i like to do is get the guest to throw out a challenge for the listeners, something that they can do over the next week that will make a difference is, you know, the sort of thing that, uh, that you've done differently that has made a difference to you. So, yeah, I think probably the, one of the key things we've been talking about is kind of your mindset and, um, you know, and the approach that, uh, that you take. So what's, what's something that you can throw out there for people to do is, you know, as I see you scratching your head with your Ironman uh, wristband on as well. <laughs> as well learned that one. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, I think, you know, I put a bit of a thank you post up on Instagram, which is more around my wife uh, and the support that, um, like, I know I just said, I think I just put it out there and said, you know, just find something that you don't think is possible. You know, just there's so many cliches here, you know, around getting out of your comfort zone and, and some people don't like that, but, but I gather that, you know, with, with the listeners here, you know, people are already actively involved in, in some sort of, um, you know, running, cycling, you know, whatever adventure challenge people are out there doing. And, you know, a victim of this myself is just going, well, yeah, I do X and, and I'm comfortable in that. I know I could do it. Oh, but the idea of Ironman or a marathon, like I could never do that. It's crazy. And, and I think as soon as you start thinking that way, you won't do it. And so yeah, the, the challenge for, for people is just to, you know, find that one thing. If, if it's one thing that, that you just think you, you'll never be able to do, just really ask yourself, you know why do you think that way you know what is it about is it is it the distance is it the training commitment like everyone's got very legitimate reasons as to why they, they they can't do something but you know there's reasons and and then there's kind of excuses and, and i think a lot of us make excuses for things rather than trying to find ways to to make them happen and when you learn about and you read about hear about people that that are out there doing some really awesome stuff you know it's just that that they don't make excuses about why something can't happen. They find reasons to make it happen. I mean, I read about Killian Jornet, who's, you know, uh, again, for listeners that know him or don't know him, uh, this guy, one of the most accomplished um, alpine adventure runners, sky running, you know, ultra endurance runners in, in the history of the world. This guy ran up Mount Everest. And you, you hear about that. You go, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. You go, yeah, he, did, he actually did it twice in the space of five days unassisted, no ropes, none of this, you know, no, no oxygen. Didn't have, a, didn't have a tent with him, no oxygen. And you, you hear this sort of stuff and you just go, like if the human mind and the body is capable of that, you know, sure he's, he's gone through a whole 
history of, of how he got to that point. But the, I guess the, the thing is that, that he was out there and he can do it. And, and I've tried to kind of harness some of the, the really inspiring things that people are out there doing and just go, well, what does that mean for my life? Like, I'm not going to go and run up Mount Everest. I may never climb Mount Everest. I may never, you know, get to base camp or never go to Nepal. But, you know, how do I take something like that that people are out there doing and, and, and what's my version of that? So, so yeah, maybe, you know, for, for people out there, it's like, what's your version of the craziest thing you could do or, or just the, something that, that you could be telling people at a party or whatever it is and you go, yeah, I, this first, it's like, this is what I've signed up for. That's kind of a really cool story. It's like, yeah, that's, it's in six months. It scares the hell out of me. It should scare you. Like, get outside your comfort zone. I've signed up for it and, and people just, you know, and, and then hopefully, you know, that, those closest to you at least can be really encouraging around that and just go, well, you know, that's awesome. And, and just sort of find reasons and ways to make it work and say yes, rather than kind of put up the barriers and just be like, oh, it's, it's too hard. Yeah, I think that's it. Mate, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. No, my pleasure. I've got the, um, got the goosebumps on the back of my neck from that one too. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's it's exciting to talk about. Like, yeah, I, and, and I want to, yeah, I want to inspire, uh, you know, my kids, my kids to, yeah, just I think it's important. Oh, mate, they they see the discipline. They see the fact that you're out there doing stuff. They see the fact that sometimes you get it wrong and it doesn't work out. Yeah, you get that's back again. Yeah, you, know, you you go for a certain goal time. And it doesn't always happen, but you get back up and you have another crack. And some of that's got to rub off. It's funny because they, they asked me, like, if the running race is here and there and right, like, did you win? Did you win? It's like, no, I didn't win. I didn't come close to winning. But, but that's, that's not what it's about when you do these things. Yeah. Unless you try to qualify for Kona, maybe it's different <laughs> then. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, mate. I will let you go. It's been thank an absolute that. pleasure having you on. Cheers. Right, good to chat. Catch Thanks. you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.